Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode, everybody. I have to apologize for my voice right away. I've had a cold this week, and it's attacking my vocal cords right now. So we'll see how this goes. But I figured you would want my groggy voice versus uh, skipping an episode. That's right. So here we are. In our last episode, you had a spontaneous inspiration to throw out a little competition. Some of our regular listeners heard that. In fact, um, I think you you sang a little bit of a song. I did. It just kind of came to me. You were talking about your. <laughs> you were talking. <laughs> You were talking about your electric underwear. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and it inspired me to sing a little melody. Uh-huh. And then I threw out a contest for anybody who wanted to, uh, who, who knew the melody, to, That's right. to let us know, and I'd send you a copy and of our book. And this has nothing to do with, really, Theology of the Body at all. It's just a fun, goofy thing. And I, it was so fun to me to see that many of our listeners, uh, the very day the podcast episode aired, they hurried to tell us their thoughts about what the song might be. And a couple of the wrong answers were someone thought it might be Elmo's World. (laughs) (laughs) Another one was um, Dim All the Lights by Donna Summer. I didn't even know that song. Yeah, no, it wasn't that one. So the correct answer was... Drum roll, please. (laughs) Ching! Turn On Your Heart Light by by Neil Neil Diamond. Diamond. Who... Who doesn't remember that song from, you know, it was like an E.T. spoof or something. (laughs) Turn on your heart light. I don't know why that melody came to me, but it did. And several people guessed it correctly. And the following three who were the first to get it right are going to receive a copy of our latest book from the TOB Institute Press. It's Carol Wojtyla's Retreat, God is Beauty. And uh, there's commentary in there from yours truly and reflections from several other theologians and artists unpacking uh, what it means uh, that God is beauty, according to Carol Wojtyla. It was specifically a retreat for artists, but we're all in one sense or another called to be artists, John Paul II says, because we're called to make of our own lives a work of art. So, um, yeah, these three people are getting this book. Who are they? So the winners are, just given your first names, Christopher, Megan, and Michelle. Thank you so much for being faithful listeners. So if you are wondering if you are the Christopher, the Megan, or the Michelle they will have who won, you'll be email. getting it in the mail. Oh, they're getting an email. Getting That's, an right. email. That's right, because Michelle, look for an email from Michelle, because she's going to ask for your address so we can send you these books. Exactly. Do you have any updates from the Theology of the Body Institute? We have a Theology of the Body Level 1 course coming up online. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about that. And I really want to encourage anybody who might be on the fence out there. Maybe you're a faithful listener to this podcast and you've heard us talking about the courses we offer at the Institute for a long time. And you're thinking, should I take that course? I don't know. Well, I think you should. And if money is an issue, please, please apply for one of our scholarships. We have a foundation, the Theology of the Body Foundation, that helps us fund our scholarships. 
and we do have funds available, so please don't ever let money get in the way. Uh, we never want that to be an issue. So if you're on the fence, pray about it and consider signing up for TOB1. Yeah, and the online courses, um, they include re recordings of teaching to a classroom, mm -hmm. but they also include live question and answer times. That's right. Throughout That's right. the course period. So there's interaction with the teachers and other students included in that. That's right. I Bill Dunahy and I tag team on those live Q&As. And they, they're they really fruitful. I, I just did one last night for, we're running right now, uh, Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery online. And I just did an, an online Zoom call, uh, live Q&A with the students last night. It's always so fruitful. I love that interaction. And it's so great to see faces mm -hmm. literally from around the world taking these classes. Yes. Again, everybody, I apologize for my voice. We're going to do what we can here. Maybe my answers will be a little shorter. <laughs> than usual because i'm having struggles uh i'm as you can tell i'm struggling even to talk but let's see what we can do that's right our first question uh, from a patron it's from an anonymous patron who says i've been in a dating relationship for almost two and a half years with a great man we're both catholic in our early 30s and free to marry in the church our relationship has been beautiful but also very difficult and complicated for several reasons, which in turn has made it hard to discern God's call for us. My boyfriend was in a long, unhealthy relationship from the age of 15 to 27. He and his girlfriend cohabitated the majority of that time and had three children. The kids are now ages 10 to 14. They spend one week on and one week off with each parent. It has been difficult to accept the lifelong consequences of his past and the wounds of his former relationship. I'm just not sure I really want to sign up for this. The mother of the kids has been truly difficult to deal with. At the same time, I am willing to go where the Lord calls because where he calls, he will go with me. Mm. I feel undecided and my lack of decisiveness has caused him to put up certain walls for protection. I've met with a Catholic counselor to work through my wounds and to help with practical tools for this relationship. I also attended TOB1 online, and it really helped me. My first question is, how can we discern what God is calling us to? Second, what does TOB say about tattoos? Given my previous question, it may seem silly that this is so painful to me, but my boyfriend has his ex's name tattooed on his back. He's attempted to remove the tattoo several times, but it is still visible. It really pains me. And in my heart, this tattoo has been an obstacle to move forward in the relationship. It seems as if this is a constant reminder of the permanent bond between them. Wow. God bless you, dear, dear person. Uh, there's so many things going on here, and we can't get into all of it, but I'll, I'll tell you three words that leapt out at me. Beautiful, difficult, and complicated. And that that not only sums up this situation, it, it sums up life itself. Mm. That's, that's human life. If you 
recognize something beautiful, difficult, and complicated, it sounds to me like you are living an authentic human life. How do you discern this? That's the first question. And then, then we'll also look at the, uh, the tattoo question, which I, I can understand from her perspective why that's so painful. Um, discernment. When you and I were engaged, Wendy, we were, we were, right before we were engaged, when we were dating, we were really looking for clarity because um, we sensed a call to marriage and under circumstances that were unusual. We had known each other for a few years, but we had only been dating in a serious way for like five or six weeks when when we had the sense that we were supposed to be married. That was the sense anyway. And we were looking for confirmation. We were just like, Lord, what do you want? What is this? Are we crazy? I mean, so many people in our circumstance would tell us we were crazy. Uh, people close to us were not telling us we were crazy, which was very important. Mm-hmm. People we trusted. Um, so that is an indication. I, I, would, I would lean on people who know you well and people you trust. Do they think this is where God is calling you? That's not the whole of discernment, but it's, a, I think, a helpful piece. We had that in place. Mm-hmm. People we knew and loved and trusted uh, were confirming what we were sensing. Uh, and then we, we earnestly prayed, uh, Lord, what is your will? Show us your face here. And, and I was the kind of guy, and still am, when I'm faced with major decisions, I will say a prayer like, Lord, you got to hit me with a ton of bricks so I know this is you. And when I stand up from the first ton, you got to hit me with another one. And we got hit with two tons of bricks that were pretty, pretty clear that we couldn't ignore. And that was very helpful in our discernment. And I, I know the war, the Lord works differently in, in everyone's life. And it, it may not be that you have some ton of bricks that fall on you that make it clear and then another ton of bricks. And sometimes questions of discernment can really be and, and do come down to the Lord saying, what do you want? You know, those are the first words of the Lord uh, in the recorded in the Gospel of John, and they are very, very important words. So I would say to you, what do you want? Do I mean I think it's clear that you you love this person, but I think you're facing in advance the difficulties and the complications that will be involved in loving this person, and that is. I would say that is a plus, that you are going into the relationship with your eyes wide open to those difficulties and those complications. Because a lot of people go into marriage thinking it's going to be sunshine and roses, and uh, even if they have some kind of an understanding, of course, life is difficult and marriage uh, involves struggles and, and trials. I had that knowledge going in. In fact, part of my proposal to you, Wendy, as you'll remember, is uh, was I'm willing to suffer with you. I'm, I'm willing to embrace the trials that come. But in many, many ways, that was just an abstraction to me. I didn't know what we were yeah, going to face. What would that look like? Yeah. We had, how would that feel? How, and, yeah, what, and what would it mean to go through that? Yeah. I, uh, I had no clue. 
no clue what that would look like or feel like. And there have been trials and there have been difficulties mm -hmm. that neither you nor I could have foreseen or predicted right. or imagined. Uh, but I think maybe you, Wendy, went in a little more with your eyes open than I did about what sufferings were lying ahead of you because you had more clearly uh, the ability to see some of the the complications and difficulties in my personal life that I was bringing into the relationship. And um, I know I've told this story before on the podcast, maybe even recently, where um, it was some years into our marriage and and we had been through some really hard times and and you said to me that you you saw it coming when we were engaged. And I said, why? Why did you marry me if you saw all this coming? And, and I mean, one of the big reasons you married me is because you loved me. True. And you, you, you believed that the Lord would see us through these difficulties. And he has. And, you know, we've got another, how, how, you know, God willing, another 30 plus years of marriage ahead of us uh, before we hit old age and one of us might die. Uh, anything could happen between now and then, but assuming life goes that way. We have trials ahead of us that we can't predict right now or understand. Mm -hmm. um, all that to say to this dear listener, I think it's a plus that you are going in with your eyes open, that there will be struggles, that there will be complications and difficulties. And I think it comes down to, do you really love this man? Um, do you want to spend your life with this man, with this man? with all the complications that he brings uh, from this past relationship. And you said it yourself, that if it is God's call on your life, you know he will be with you. I, I, I would, my best guess, and I have no crystal ball, is that you're seeing the weight of the cross that lies ahead, and you're wondering, can I bear it? Is there an easier life? Uh, yeah, there may well be an easier life. But do we, do we aspire to greatness when we simply say, I'd rather an easy life? Believe me, I know the temptation. Um, it's the temptation to, to find some detour around suffering. And, and we're not, you know, we're not masochists. We shouldn't, you know, go seek it out. Uh, life will bring its sufferings on its own. But I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let the complications and the difficulties be the deciding factor. Uh, I, I, I think that's all I want to say about that. Do you want to add into that, Wendy, before we get into the tattoo question? I think being in your early 30s, um, I, I hear a certain maturity in the wording of some things in this question that I think is um, just a, a beautiful gift, a sign that... Um, life up to this point already, the Lord has been active and working in your lives um, and that you've grown in a lot of ability to understand the call to love and the desire, you know, that we have for a more perfect world than we actually live in. I do think it's a, it's a particularly difficult thing to enter into this dynamic and with the children and their mother, um, and definitely not something that anybody should take lightly. Agreed, yeah. And yet, 
I think then your discernment comes to a question of whether you are a gift to that situation. Mm, good one, Wendy. Are you particularly, it, not, and not just anybody could step into that place, but are you a gift to his ability to uh, love his children, to deal in an ongoing way, it's not going away, the relationship with their mother? And are you able to be just a, a voice of prudence, of good boundaries, of mercy, all of those things that are really going to be called for? Um, I think that's some of the particularity of your discernment has to do with understanding that you are not going to be able to remove him from that um, situation. And I really think that really transitioned to the question yeah, about the tattoo. I agree. I agree. Uh, that the attempts to remove it being not um, successful. What, what are your thoughts? I was thinking the same thing, that that that, that tattoo and its inability to be removed is is a sign of uh, the 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 lasting impact of that wound in his life and and the tattoo itself is kind of a scar written right into his body that there's a wound here mm -hmm. i remember when we were dating wendy and wounds from a past relationship i had been in it was it took up a lot of my formative years from the age of 16 to the age of 20. I was involved in a relationship and um, there were scars in my, in my heart from that experience. And entering into this new relationship with you, there was a part of me, a big part of me, that just kind of wished it away. I wish I could just erase that from my life. I, I made so many mistakes in that relationship and... and uh, I was wounded, that other person was wounded, and I, I wished I could just erase it. And it's kind of like I wish that tattoo on my heart could have just been erased, could have been removed. And you said to me, but you, you can't split your life in two like that. You're, that's part of you. And, and I, I was saying to you, I, I could understand how you'd love who I've been for the last few years because um, I've, I've really been trying to follow the Lord. And, and, and I even said, but I wouldn't expect you to love who I was back then. And you looked at me with such a crazy look, a look on your face like I was crazy uh, that I can't split my life in two like that. And you said, I don't just love who you've been in the last few years. I love you. And that relationship is part of your life. And I don't want you to erase that. There's no need to pretend it didn't happen. Uh, and you were ready to embark with me in our life of love, in our marriage, our relationship with, um, with understanding that that wound was part of my life. Did that make our life difficult and complicated? In some ways, yes, it, it, it has. But there's a beauty. Again, there's that third word. Beautiful, difficult, complicated. There is such a beauty that I have experienced, Wendy, from you in realizing you love me there. And even though I, I don't have a tattoo on my body, there is there is a, a lasting mark in my heart from that that what I went through that that you have 
embraced and love. And that has brought such freedom to me, such beauty to, to my life. And I just want to hold that out to you, dear questioner, that, that that is really possible. And that every time you see that tattoo on his back is a reminder of the person you're loving and the wounds that he brings. And, and it's an invitation to you to love the real person, not an imaginary person, not wishing away what had happened, um, but loving the real person with all of his scars, with all of his wounds, with all of his gifts and all of his shortcomings. John Paul II says in Love and Responsibility that when a person's wounds, when a person's sins, when a person's faults, when a person's shortcomings come to light, the one who really loves does not run the other direction, but loves all the more. And he loves the real person, not the idealized, imaginary person, but the real person. And so I think the real question for your discernment is, do you love this real person uh, with that tattoo uh, and all that that tattoo reminds you of? Do you love that person? Uh, that doesn't mean you love all that has happened in his life, uh, but that you love him with his wounds, and that you have a, a, a love that sees the potential for those wounds to shine with glory. Here's Christ's promise. That tattoo on his back, which is a reminder of really painful stuff in his life, that in some way in his glorified body, it won't be erased. It will be glorified. Mm -hmm. It will be redeemed. Jesus in his resurrected body still has the wounds of his passion, but they now shine with glory. Can you imagine, can you imagine a life where you are loving this man into the glorification of that tattoo, uh, the redemption of, the, of all that that tattoo stands for? Are you meant to play a role in that kind of redemption in his life? That's, I think, the real question of discernment. What, what, what are your thoughts, love? I have so many images in my mind right now of both of the Lord touching this man's scars um, with his just full knowledge, insight, wisdom about what it meant, first of all, at the time of getting the tattoo, what was the, the good desire that was twisted up in the relationship, what does it come to mean in terms of feelings of failure, all of that, like the Lord just our bodies can be such a touch point yes. to so much that's in our story. And I, I see the Lord reaching out to that touch point. But I also see the Lord's scars from his scourging on his mm. back. Oh, man. And and oh. him inviting our our listener to, to touch those scars. So mm. I don't know. It's like it's both Christ's reaching out to the tattoo and also him revealing his scars and the wounds are are from the fallen world and that there is an evil one who is out to destroy us yeah. and, and the redemption the resurrection is the hope of new beginnings of new life and i just feel all of that in this story i do too that's a powerful image of the lord's scourge marks can you recognize that that tattoo is really one of the wounds. 
can we even say one of the scourge marks on Jesus's back? And can you, can you have a reverence for that? Can you find a place in your heart to reverence that? Uh, that's, that's Christ in you, loving Christ in him. And that's a divine thing. It's not a human thing. It doesn't come from, from our own abilities. It comes from a work of grace. So we will be praying for you, and we invite all of our listeners out there to be praying for this person who submitted this question, that, that she would have clarity as to what the Lord is calling her to, and that she would be inspired by that kind of love for this dear man and all that he's been through. Our next question is also from an anonymous listener. Um, would a Josephite marriage be valid without consummation? Does Christ ever call people to Josephite marriages aside from Mary and St. Joseph? Yes, just to clarify for those who may not know this term, a Josephite marriage means uh, a marriage like Joseph and Mary uh, where the sexual act is uh, sacrificed. It's offered offered in sacrifice by sacrificing it, that is, by not engaging in it. Um, it is rare that anyone is called to that, but it is not, um, it's, it certainly has happened. Uh, would it be valid? Yes, it would be valid. Uh, marriage is valid at the moment of the valid exchange of consent. Now, I know of a couple who had discerned that they they were called to a Josephite marriage and they had to go to the the diocese and have a special permission from the bishop to enter their marriage um, with that presumption that it would be a Josephite marriage. So none of this is to be taken lightly and and part of what they had to do in entering that Josephite marriage was they had to agree that if at any point in the marriage one or the other spouse desired to consummate the marriage, uh, that the other would not refuse that. Uh, so that's just one instance uh, of a pastoral practice um, that the bishop um, made part of the agreement in allowing for that Josephite marriage. In things that I've heard of, I don't want to claim to be an expert on this at all, but the concept of living a Josephite marriage, which again is rare in itself, but is usually thought of as something that happens after a certain time of living the marriage with the marital embrace and then discerning together to um, sacrifice that from a certain time forward in the marriage. I, I guess, you know, not that I've heard many stories, but that it has been the main impression I've had of people right. sensing that they are called to live a Josephite marriage. I do think that this question is definitely geared toward, can could you be called to that from the beginning? And that's what yeah. you're speaking to there. Um, what is the distinction though? You know, it's a valid marriage and yet there is something different about yes. it. Yes. Well, in canon law, uh, marriage is valid at the moment of consent, but it's not absolutely indissoluble until the moment of consummation. So that's, that's the distinction in canon law. Uh, 
you could have a valid marriage that was never consummated. You could actually, and this is a special privilege reserved to the Vatican, um, you could have that valid marriage dissolved uh, for the a higher calling, which which would be for one or the other to enter into religious life. Uh, and why is that considered a higher calling? This will also shine some light on the very principle. This must be understood right from the start, that the Josephite approach to marriage never mean, in the authentic tradition of the church, all of those words are important, in the authentic tradition of the church, a Josephite marriage is never uh, the result of a rejection of God's plan for sexuality or a fearful uh, negation of sexuality or uh, much less a, a Manichaean idea that somehow sex is bad or dirty. Um, that is, God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very good. Now, of course, sin gets in the mix and, and twists all kinds of things up, including our sexuality. Um, but, but the purpose of the Josephite marriage is not, we're not going to have sexual relations because sexual relations are in themselves unholy. That is not the teaching. It's based on what Christ says about the resurrection of the body and the very nature of the call to the celibate vocation. Um, so we'll just touch briefly on that. I know we've covered this in previous podcasts as well, but here's, here's the brief um, version of the, the, or the brief presentation of the church's teaching. The Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. And that means the marriage of man and woman is as beautiful and wonderful as it is, it is a foreshadowing of an ultimate destiny. Our ultimate destiny is not uh, the fulfillment of our yearning for love in the union of a man and a woman. That's the sacrament here on planet Earth of the ultimate fulfillment of our yearning for love and union, which is only going to be experienced in the marriage of Christ and the church. That will last forever. And that's why Jesus says in the resurrection, men and women are no longer given in marriage. Why? Because we no longer need a sign to point us to the marriage of Christ and the church when the marriage of Christ and the church has been consummated in eternity. You no longer need a road sign to point you to Disneyland when you get to Disneyland. You're there. The ultimate destiny is the union of Christ and the church forever and ever and ever. Um, the idea of the Josephite marriage, obviously based on the marriage of Joseph and Mary, Mary and Joseph were living, not a rejection of sexuality. They were living in their marriage uh, in, a, in an exceptional way. They were living the ultimate purpose and meaning of sexuality. They were living, you could say, both from the book of Genesis and from the book of Revelation. They were living the earthly marriage and the heavenly marriage at the same time. The celibate vocation is really, if we put it in the positive, uh, celibacy tells us what they're giving up, but, but the marriage of the Lamb tells us what they're embracing. So Joseph and Mary lived both of these realities, the earthly marriage and the heavenly marriage, at the same time. Uh, and, and their marriage, in this sense, became the marriage of heaven and earth. And the fruit of their marriage, which was the marriage of heaven and earth, the fruit of it was the marriage of heaven and earth, uh, the incarnate word, 
the joining of the human and the divine in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the marriage of heaven and earth. And this means that all marriages flow. This is Catholic teaching. All marriages flow from the very reality of the incarnation. Mm. The incarnation is the marriage of heaven and earth. And the grace of the sacrament of marriage flows precisely from that marriage, which is the person of Jesus, the union of the divine and human natures in his person. It's awesome theology, awesome to my heart, but what does that mean day to day? It, it means um, that our life has a destiny. Our life is going somewhere. Our life is not just about paying the bills. Uh, our, our life has a trajectory. It's pointing us to something that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even dawned on us. And yet God has given us clues. And the main clue he has given us to be a picture, a shadow, a foreshadowing of, of what our destiny is, is the beautiful love and union of man and woman in marriage. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll joke, you know, I'll say um, marriage is meant to be a foreshadowing of heaven. Why, why, why do some couples, many couples experience it more as a foreshadowing of hell? Well, because the enemy gets in the mix there and screws it all up and, and tries to invert the rocket engines, so to speak, so that we're not pointed towards heaven, but we're pointed back on ourselves. The good news of redemption is that Christ comes into the world and his first miracle is at a wedding. He comes to restore God's plan for man and woman, to redirect those rocket engines, to give us that new wine that enables us to embrace and live God's plan for man and woman as it was in the beginning. All of this we need to understand, and I'm only touching the surface, to understand properly in the authentic tradition of the church what a Josephite marriage is. Not a rejection of sexuality, but a living out of the ultimate purpose of it. Why is it considered a higher calling, the celibate vocation? And this is right in the Bible. You, you can't just toss it out because you don't like it. But we do have to understand it correctly. Uh, St. Paul says, those who choose marriage do well, but those who remain celibate for the kingdom do better. So notice right away, it's not a choice between bad and good. It's a choice between good and better. And it is better only objectively. And why? Objectively, heaven is better than earth. Objectively, a definitive choice for the eternal marriage is objectively better than a choice for the temporal marriage, the marriage of earth. But again, because it's better only objectively, subjectively, what is better for you as an individual is the vocation to which you're called. It is subjectively better for you and for me, Wendy, to be married, because that was God's plan for our lives, to get us to heaven, and we should rejoice in that. So it is very rare that people in the married state would be called to sacrifice the marital embrace. It's not unheard of, it's possible, but only through really wise discernment and clarity. It's certainly not something you would want to broadcast or boast about. Um, it would be a kind of a silent living out of a, a choice for that ultimate marriage, even in the married state. But the normal calling, and I just want to underscore this because it's so important, the normal calling of married life is not to sacrifice the marital embrace, but to sanctify the marital embrace. That's the call of, of married love.
Our next question is from Madison. She says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. I'm in my first year as a theology graduate student, and your podcast has been so integral to my faith formation and a great aid in my studies. Learning about TOB through your podcast has helped to give me a lens through which to look at everything I'm learning. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Madison. So glad it's been a blessing to you. Here's my question. I have always felt called to marriage and have deeply desired to live a beautiful and holy partnership with a man who will help me and any children we have get to heaven. I'm especially drawn to the calling to be a sign of God's love for his people here on earth and to witness to his freely given, faithful, and fruitful love. However, every time I hear one of my professors talk about celibate vocations or spend time with my female classmates who are discerning a vocation to religious life, I feel somehow inferior. Nuns get to marry Christ. They get to be Christ's bride. Do I not get to call myself a bride of Christ? If I'm also married to a man here on earth, I somehow feel left behind by desiring marriage or that the calling on my heart is ordinary since being a lay married person is more common in what most people do. The virgin martyrs are also traditionally held in such high esteem, which leads me to think that marriage is viewed as less than a celibate vocation. I have a hard time not feeling that celibate vocations are somehow more special, sacred, and holy than the vocation to marriage. Furthermore, somehow this thought has crept in that Christ will love me less than my celibate sisters who consecrate all of themselves to him. I don't know where these thoughts come from or if they make any sense, but I would love to hear yours. Can you shed some light on any of this from Theology of the Body? God bless you both. Madison, bless your heart, bless your heart, bless your heart. Uh, do do all of your questions and wonderings and ponderings make sense from the human perspective? Absolutely, they make sense. The, the one question that you asked in the midst of all of that was, I don't know where these come from, these questions or these thoughts, that Christ will love me less or, or um, you know, that somehow I would be less or be diminished if I were called to marriage. Well, I can't say for certain where they come from, but I can say for certain where they don't come from. And they don't, those thoughts do not come from the Lord. So they either come from your own maybe skewed ideas or from skewed ideas you've heard from others, or they're coming right out of uh, the enemy's playbook who, who wants to discourage you. Uh, so I want to, as your brother in the Lord, Madison, I want to take a stand with you and rebuke those voices in the name of Jesus because they do not come from him. Uh, oftentimes, a sign of the enemy meddling is that he takes a certain truth and then he twists it and he uses it against us. So there is a certain truth, just as I was saying in my answer to the previous question. There is a certain truth. We have to understand it correctly. There's a certain truth in saying and recognizing, it's right in the scriptures, those who marry do well, those who choose celibacy for the kingdom do better, but it's only better in the objective sense. So Madison, 
If the Lord is calling you to marry, guess what is better for you? Guess what is better for your salvation? Guess what is better for your growth in holiness? Guess what will more effectively get you to heaven, to the eternal marriage? Getting married. If that's what the Lord's call is on your life, that's what will please the Lord most, and that's what will enable you to become more fully the woman you are meant to be. And you can stand solidly on those truths. And you have the authority by your baptism when those voices that are contrary to that truth come against your heart, you can say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I silence and bind those lies and I send them right to the foot of the cross uh, where they belong. Mm. Wendy, what are your thoughts for Madison? I think um, one of the things I wanted to look at a little bit more was her question about, do I get to call myself a bride of Christ if I'm also married to a man? Um, and I, I sort of want to defer to you because I have some instincts about that, and yet I feel not like, like maybe I'm not educated well, quite enough. Let me just give you the straight answer from JP2, and then you can build right off of that. It's right in Molieris Dignitatum that every baptized person is properly understood to be bride of Christ. And, and this, and, and this, you know, that can be a little, what about me as a man? Uh, yeah, yeah, in, in, a, in a mystical sense, if I'm a member of the church, I, I participate in what you could call the bridehood of all believers, just as a woman who's baptized participates in the priesthood of all believers, even as a woman. Um, so, so yes, every baptized person as a member of the church is properly called and recognized as bride. And this is also, Madison, your ultimate destiny mm -hmm. is where you're headed. Yeah, I think that was, my instinct was to say, um, we have so much to gain by reflecting again and again on the depth of love of our bridegroom for us as his bride. Every one of us, I'm married to a man, you're sitting next to me. But I can still gain tremendous growth. It just the filling of my heart with profound love that enables me to live my life, my vocation, through reflecting on that outpouring of love that's ever new from Christ, my bridegroom. I still do think there is an expression, a bride of Christ, that can be used specifically to refer to consecrated women. Yes, and, there's and, a distinction to be made and there. And so to just ask, what does that mean? I think it need not trouble us. Yes. As the simple answer I want to give that, yes, there is an, a way in which the very same words are used to mean something particular to that celibate vocation. They also do apply to all of us, as you said, and and to not let ourselves get tripped by thinking that's not me. I also just felt like that that whole sense of like in being inferior, like the Lord really wants to work on that um, place in our lives that we feel inferior because 
we all have places we yes, feel we inferior. <laughs> that people who feel the most superior are probably just covering for their feelings of inferiority. That's right. That's right. So it's not um, in that sense. That's just part of the human <clears throat> journey. Um, before we get to heaven where nobody feels inferior, just to continually open that to the Lord for his mercy and that he would speak truth in the place of um, where we feel doubt and confusion, or rejection, or any of those other things that go along with that feeling of being inferior, that he wants, it's the God of the universe. He chooses you. He loves you. You're not inferior. He wants to tell that to you personally. He wants you to come to adoration and let his heart that's aflame with love speak that into your depths. Woohoo! Preach it, Wendy. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for putting up with my raspy voice on this podcast. Uh, if you know anybody out there who would benefit from hearing what you've heard today in this episode, please hit that share button. It helps us to expand our listeners and get this good news out to uh, an ever-growing audience. We're so grateful for all of our faithful listeners out there. We're so grateful to you. If you're a new listener out there, check out our past episodes and keep listening. Uh, we look forward to being with you in our next episode. And until then, may you know it in your bones that you are a gift, a gift of life and love. Become what you are. Woo! is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.